Welcome to Agilent Technologies audio podcast featuring Dr. Stephen Carr, director of the proteomics platform at the Broad Institute of MIT and Harvard. Join Dr. Carr for some fascinating insights on how proteomics is used in biology, how it helps to diagnose certain illnesses, provides information on the way different patients respond to specific treatments, and the implications for personalized medicine. He expounds upon the incredible results his lab has had with Agilent's automation solutions and the future he sees for mass spec as a critical technology in the lab. I'm your host, Susan Siegel. Hello, Dr. Carr. Maybe you can start with some background on the Broad Institute. The website says, The Broad Institute is essentially an experiment in a new way of doing science, empowering this generation of researchers. What's so unique about the Institute, and what are some of the programs and platforms it focuses on? It is a unique institution in the sense that, unlike most academic centers, which have departments which pretty much independently operate from one another, I mean, you could say there's a siloing effect uh, in academia. In building the Broad, the whole purpose was really to bring disparate communities together and enable communication, collaboration at a level that's typically not achieved in an academic environment. It's much more highly matrixed and interactive like a biotech or even a pharma company. But the purpose of the Broad is not today to put drugs on the market and make a profit. It is to, as Eric Lander likes to say, kill important biological and medical problems with the ultimate goal of providing therapeutic benefit to patients. And all of that is underpinned by the genome information, which allows us to do proteomics and many other types of experiments at the Broad. Can you talk a little bit about some of the programs and platforms that the Institute focuses on? Yeah, so we have a range of programs that look, again, like what might uh, be found in a biotech or a pharma. So we have a program, very large program focused on cancer, another program focused on metabolic disease, infectious disease, psychiatric disease. But in parallel to those programmatic activities, which are very disease-focused, we have other programmatic activities, which their, their webs spin into all of these disease areas. And those include the medical and population genomics program, which, for example, does genome-wide association studies, which impacts, for example, trying to understand the basis of various psychiatric diseases by sequencing the genomes of patients that have bipolar or Parkinson's or schizophrenia. We have a chemical biology program, which is really focused on understanding chemical interactions and the effects of drugs against interesting targets, targets that are important in disease functions. In addition, we have a program that is focused on understanding the human genome and in furthering sequencing capabilities. And today, a lot of that effort is focused on moving genomic sequencing into clinical adaptation, understanding individual patients' genomes and then leveraging that information for clinical benefit. So let me talk a little bit about the platforms, which are really parallel organizations to the programmatic activities that happen at the Broad. The platforms really look toward certain of the programmatic activities uh, as their primary customer in focus. Others, like the proteomics platform, really are kind of engaged in all of the disease areas. 
We have an RNAi platform that creates reagents that allow us to knock down or perturb any gene in the human and mouse genome. We have a chemical biology platform, which is really geared towards synthesis and screening of small molecules as part of our human therapeutics effort. We have a screening platform, which is not uh, so much involved with actually running samples through high throughput screening operations, but is focused on developing software that allows for the analysis of the resulting information. And then there is the proteomics platform and the metabolite profiling platform. Those are both in my sphere of operations at the Broad. Maybe you could elaborate a little bit in layman's terms on exactly what proteomics is and the role that it plays in diagnosing specific illnesses. Proteomics is essentially the analysis of the protein content of a cell or a tissue. It could be a tumor sample, for example, or a biofluid, such as urine or plasma, from a patient or a biological system in a defined state. That state could be with or without disease. It could be plus or minus drug. It could be a state of differentiation. Can you tell us what role proteomics plays in biology and in diagnosing specific illnesses? Yes. We employ proteomics to study biological systems, particularly cells or small organisms like tuberculosis or malaria. And we use those technologies to look at the cells under different states of perturbation. In many cases, what we're most interested in is what is the effect of drug X on the proteome or changes in the modifications on the proteins. Much of the work that we do involves analysis of what we refer to as post-translational modifications. And these changes to the protein, they're really additions to the protein structure, are fundamentally important for events like signaling and protein-protein interaction and cell-cell interaction. In biological space, proteomics becomes kind of a first-line analysis tool for understanding the effects of drug treatments, also knockdowns of specific proteins, and these experiments are often triggered by the investigator's interest in the effect of a particular gene, which has been identified in a clinical sample, for example, as being aberrantly expressed. From a clinical standpoint, we'll frequently be asked to look at the effect of a drug. Now, instead of in a cell line, in a patient, for example, that has been on that particular therapy. So we will get tissue material from the patient. And what we will be using proteomics to try to understand is some patients respond to the treatment, other patients do not. And can we, leveraging protein-based techniques, understand what is different about patients who respond to that treatment from patients who do not? So it's a way of potentially coming up with a biomarker of response to therapy, but also to understand the biology or the physiology of individual difference in response to treatment. And does that have some implications for personalized medicine? It, it basically is a form of personalized medicine. Once you understand the difference in an individual's response to therapy, you can then tailor the specific regimen, either dosage or different drug, for that individual. 
We are not quite there yet, but the studies that are ongoing are leading in that direction. Can you tell us about some of the specific proteomics projects you and your teams are working on and what problems you're hoping to solve with them? Yes. In the space of cancer, we have a large project that I described this morning in my talk that is analyzing the proteomes of samples which have been completely genomically characterized in the context of the Cancer Genome Atlas project. What we're doing is to map on a patient-by-patient basis across more than 100 tumor samples the proteomes of those tumors. And we are then mapping the proteomes to the individual's genome variations. Why is this critical? It's critical because not all of the genomic mutations that are detected in these samples are drivers of the cancer. They don't cause changes in activation of any given pathway. They don't uh, make changes in the macromolecular complexes that occur that are also helping to drive biological processes. So by using proteomics, we can ask and answer the question, which of these perturbations is actually leading to a change in the level of a specific protein, in the changes in pathways, up or down regulation in a specific pathway. And we're looking also at the modifications of these proteins, which are intimately involved in the signaling events, which are so important in the development of cancer. And fundamentally, cancer fools the body into not recognizing that there is uncontrolled growth occurring. By studying the proteome, we hope to understand, uh, begin to understand that process. I know that you've integrated automated solutions into your research. How are you using some of those techniques and what kind of impact has that had? We have had a very deep and fulfilling collaborative interaction with Agilent now over approximately the last year and a half in the area of automation. We have been privileged to get two Bravo robots into my laboratory, which we have basically had a field day with in terms of using them in different modes. They have greatly increased our throughput for certain types of analysis. So for example, there's a major focus on developing biomarkers of disease effects, so either stage or presence. Uh, In my laboratory, again, with a focus on cancer, but also on cardiovascular disease and infectious disease. We have to handle dozens to hundreds of patient samples. And that, in the past, has been done by technicians in the laboratory laboriously digesting and do all the other sample manipulations that have to occur prior to analysis by mass spectrometry. The robotics have basically replaced on the front end, the sample handling, the digestion component of the samples, preparing them for the mass spectrometry experiment. And it's done very reproducibly and very efficiently. Another place where we're using the automation involves leveraging your assay map technology. These are the cartridges that you have developed, basically packed tips with various different packing materials that now allows us to do really a wide range of different experiments using the automation. I talked this morning a little bit about the things we have to do to enrich for either proteins of interest, modified peptides of interest. Those all involve enrichment strategies that use either antibodies or 
specialized chemical methods for capturing peptides out of the sample. All of those antibody-based methods, as well as the chemical approaches, can all be put into these tips so that rather than having to process one sample at a time laboriously and with potential for a lot of variation, we can automate all of this using the Bravo assay map head system. This has been done really very collaboratively with the team here where they have actually gone and packed specific material into those tips to allow us to do certain experiments. In other cases, we just used material that they had already provided, but all of it is benefiting the throughput of our proteomics experiments. Automation is going to be absolutely critical for uptake of proteomics in a clinical setting. Those were great examples, and I'd love to end on that high note, but I'm going to ask you one last question. What do you see as the future role of mass spec in the clinic? That's a great question. My personal bias on this is that it's going to be tremendously important in clinical laboratories. It already is. I mean, historically, mass spectrometry has been used for the last several decades for clinical measurement of patient samples. Any newborn in the United States gets a heel prick done, and that is put onto paper to create a dried blood spot. Those go to clinical laboratories that use mass spectrometry to measure small molecules such as the amino acids, acylcarnitines, and other small molecules that give an indication of the presence of inborn errors of metabolism, many of which are treatable. Today, the focus is moving, is continuing on small molecules, but in parallel to that, we are beginning to use the same technology to measure proteins in complex mixtures. The go-to technique today for doing that is immuno-based methods on immunoanalyzers that are widely available in the clinical setting. Mass spectrometers are already in these clinical labs, but they're not necessarily being used for measuring proteins. My lab and others around the world have been pushing the application of mass spectrometry for targeted detection of peptides derived from proteins of interest. Those proteins represent potential biomarkers, and the advantages that mass spectrometry has over the immunobased methods are manifold, not the least of which is the ability to highly multiplex the analysis. So immunobased methods typically look at one or two analytes at a time and use relatively large volumes of patient blood in order to do that. In a mass spectrometry experiment that we and others have demonstrated, you can now enrich for and analyze dozens to even up to 100 proteins and analyze all of those in the space of a 45-minute or one-hour analysis. It is possible to effectively analyze single or up to 10 analytes at a time in the space of just a couple of minutes on a mass spectrometer as well. So the potential, I think, is very high to move into the clinical space. One of the main drivers for doing this is going to be where immunobased assays have interferences that you simply can't get around. There is one test already out there that is attempting to replace a standard immunoassay for a protein called thyroglobulin, which is measured for thyroid disease. There are many interferences in the measurement of thyroglobulin, which simply cannot be gotten around in an antibody-based assay. The mass spectrometry-based assay for this has essentially equivalent 
performance characteristics and sensitivity as the immunoassay uh, that has been longstanding out there in the clinic, but does not suffer from any of the interference effects. So it is a potential replacement for thyroglobulin measurement. And I think there's going to be a number of cases in the future where that will be the first place where mass spectrometry will begin to replace protein-based assays in a clinical setting. The future is very bright for mass spec in clinic also because for complex diseases, single protein markers are not going to be sufficient. So for example, today, we use PSA to measure prostate cancer. We've all read the articles in the, in the news about how PSA is actually not a particularly good marker for prostate cancer. The future is probably going to be a multiplex of proteins measured all simultaneously in order to assess whether a patient does or does not have prostate cancer or is likely to have an aggressive form of prostate cancer. That type of assay is most suited to a mass spectrometry assay because of the ease of multiplexing. This has been a fascinating discussion. Thank you so much, Dr. Carr, for being our guest on Radio LSG. Thank you very much, Susan. I really enjoyed it. If you would like more information about Agilent products, please visit Agilent.com.